The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. So this morning, we have a very special guest, a special friend of mine, Robert McSee. Now, Robert has been with Leading Conversations in the past. It's been a long time because, actually, this is our eighth year. And, so oh, you know, Robert, you were among, you know, one of the early guests. And you are founder and president of HeartSet. Incorporated, which is a company dedicated to helping people live the life of their dreams. Robert is founding member of the Transformational Leadership Council and the Association of Transformational Leaders of Southern California and the former director of training for Jack Canfield. And most of you would know Jack as the chicken soup for the soul guy, a successful Google. Um, you know, Robert only likes to work with the best before he takes his show on the road. And as a speaker and an author, a coaching consultant, he really helps people manifest the best in their life and create excellent decision-making processes. We're going to learn about that this morning. Robert, welcome to the show. Well, uh, thank you so much. It's so good to be back. And it is, wow, it's funny to think how long it's been since uh, the last time we did this and how much has happened. A lot has changed in that time. So um, where are you today? Uh, I am in San Diego, California. I don't get a lot of sympathy for, you know, when I start complaining about where I live, especially with the winter, like the winter we've had. But, uh, yeah, I'm in beautiful, sunny Southern California. Oh, nice. Very nice. So, um, you know, you are a person, from my perspective, you're a person who has always been really good at reinventing yourself and reinventing yourself with this sense of everything is possible. Because when I first met you, the energy I got from you was there are no roadblocks. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what it looks like is in front of you. There are no roadblocks. And I was always so taken by this. Not everybody can do that. A lot of people can say that but not everybody can live it. And you are the essence of that. How many times do you think you've reinvented yourself in your lifetime? Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to choose to not go back too far. I'm just, I'm really struck in this moment by the fact that there's really been been three pretty significant reinventions um, just mm-hmm. since you and I have known each other. You mentioned that I used to be the executive director um, 
or rather the director of training for Jack Canfield's organization. And I had the opportunity to work really closely with Jack. And I, I so appreciate your description of your experience of me. And, and I know a lot of it comes from the opportunity to have worked so closely with Jack, who is uh, someone who you and I both know is a real leader in this industry, um, someone who's often best known for his work with Chicken Soup for the Soul. But his real core mm-hmm. work is the other book that you mentioned, which is called The Success Principles. And the work with, that I did with him was a around the principles in that book and, and the, the peak performance and self-esteem work that he does both with organizations and, and educational institutions all over the country and really all over the world. And uh, when you and I first met, I, I was working very closely with Jack, and, and not too long after that, I, I did begin to venture out and do some work on my own. I wrote a book. My book is called Manifesting for Non-Gurus, and I had been doing the, the coaching and the consulting and the speaking that you talked about, and, and it really was exciting and, and fun to to be out on my own and doing my own work. But uh, one of the things that I experienced in, in bringing that work to the world was that um, my work is very practical. It's very implementable. It's very focused on common sense and foundational principles. And the words manifesting and non-guru don't necessarily translate to that. When I was bringing my work out, I was finding that people were were really thinking that it was much more of a kind of a woo-woo, soft skills, magical thinking kind of work. And I think you know me well enough to know that it's definitely not. It's very much focused on taking inspired action to get the results that we really want in our lives, but, but doing that from a place of really being clear about what's most important to us. And um, so recently, the, the latest kind of reiteration, reinvention of myself has been taking what is essentially the same core work, the same kind of foundational principles, but focusing it in on a concept that I call excellent decisions. And really focusing on the same type of thing in terms of helping people create the results and the experience that they want to be having in life. But as I bring it out to the corporate world, and and as you said, I'm I'm really focusing on working with schools and students now in a big way, uh, something that I'm really passionate about and and something I feel is really important. Uh, And I'm focusing on helping them make what I call excellent decisions, decisions that are driven by their vision and values instead of decisions that are driven by the incredible pressures that they're under. And... um, the exciting thing about the latest reinvention is that I really am seeing a very different kind of response uh, from the marketplace. Um, I know a lot of the work that you do is in the area of business, and um, it is important, whatever we're doing, whatever, we're, whatever passion we're following, to make it work as a business. And there's some really exciting things happening in that arena for me right now. That's fabulous. So um, I'm going to talk about the college student element of this because um, – you know, there's a lot of focus these days on the current generation of college students and how, um, you know, even though I won't say what year we were in college, but um, <laughs> Thank you. Even, even though during that time, um, you know, our parents certainly thought of us as crazy um, and we were viewed as people who were really um, kind of pushing the edges it's interesting that now, you know, a lot of years beyond that, I find myself thinking that same thing about the current generation of college students, um, not in a judgmental way, but in a way that concerns me a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they are um, doing things, um, their life is so transparent because of things like, you know, social media, et cetera, and that they are doing things that 
somewhere down the road they may end up regretting or that may be absolutely life-changing now. Right. Um, you know, what, how do you think they got there? Well, I think um, in, in many cases these types of things have been going on for a very long time. Um, and the, the issue that you brought up about social media and the fact that everyone has a video camera in their pocket that's literally connected to the entire world is what's fundamentally changed the, the consequences of some of the decisions. Um, when I'm going out and, and talking to a school about the work that I do, I let them know that the, the kinds of problems that the work I do really addresses are some of the most visible problems that college campuses and students are faced with today, things like binge drinking and, and drug use, uh, things like sex and sexual assault, cheating and bullying, and, and even going as far as, as if we look at the statistics on campuses uh, about things like suicide and depression, um, it's really yeah. gotten that bad. And, and these are things that are landing on the front page of the paper because when a student does make a decision that is, we'll just call it regrettable, uh, I don't really believe there are good decisions or bad decisions. There certainly aren't, you know, good kids or bad kids. But what we see is, is really good kids making regrettable decisions. And, uh, you know, it's not surprising um, given the environments that they're in and especially given the pressure that they're under. And I think that's the one thing that has probably changed more than anything else is the incredible pressure that these students are under when they leave home for the first time in many cases and go off to college. I they have peer pressure. They still have parental pressure. I mean, my daughter went to school, you know, 3,000 miles away, and, and we were pretty good about not really pressuring her, but or at least we think we were. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, we're still connected. It's not like we're, we're isolated yeah. from her. It's not like we're not an influence on her. So there's the peer pressure, the parental pressure, tremendous academic pressure, especially at the higher-level institutions. It's just crazy on some level. And then there's just all of what I call the social pressure, you know, the, the pressure that comes at us from, from the media and the social media and the people around us that is, again, just adds up to these, these students, these young people. And one of the interesting things that I've learned in the process of focusing more on schools is, is the fact that at this age, their brains aren't even fully developed. <laughs> so we're, we're putting them to this incredible high-pressure environment, asking them to make life-changing decisions. In a, in a just a pressure-packed environment, and you know, the, again, the video camera is rolling 24/7, and yeah. if you do make the wrong decision, it's going to be posted everywhere and anywhere. And um, and yet, in many cases, um, the students really don't have the what I call the sense of self, the self-awareness, right. self-confidence, the self-esteem uh, to really make solid decisions that w won't be regrettable in the long run. So when you talk with these college students, what do you hear from them around these situations, around binge drinking and drugs, and do they think this is a problem? They absolutely do. I actually just returned this past weekend from a conference that was focused on fraternities and sororities. And some of these problems are very closely connected, especially to the fraternity environment, but also to the sororities as well. And in talking to the students and talking to the, uh, the faculty advisors from the, the whole Greek system, the students are well aware. And, and again, 
I don't think there's any of them that are, are doing drugs or, or binge drinking or, or just treating each other poorly in whatever way we're talking about um, because they think it's a good idea. You know, they're not waking up in the morning and going, oh, you know, I'm going to go out and drink myself silly until I throw up. Um, right. But what they're doing is they're, they're simply responding to all that pressure they're under. And, and the peer pressure alone, the desire to belong, the desire to fit in is often so strong that it outweighs just the simple knowledge that drinking till you throw up is, is not a good thing, you know? Right, um, right. And it, it sounds so simple and so obvious, but it also makes you realize just how powerful that desire to belong is, that someone would do some of the things that they do because of that. Um, so, so, again, to me, it, well, it's it always goes, been that way, right? It's always been I, that way. I think that's, it has always been wrong. that way. And, and at the same time, I think because of social media and, um, and also because, you know, my youngest daughter just finished the college application process. She's a senior in high school, and she just found out where she's going to be going next year. And I have an older daughter who's in graduate school right now and then a son in between who's, who's a, a sophomore in college. So we've been through this kind of three times. And, and yeah. part of what's going on, but part of the reason there's even more pressure than ever is simply a numbers game. You know, the, the statistics about how many college applications these kids are putting out and, and how, you know, hard it is to get into college nowadays, what I see is it just turns up the volume on all these pressures. It makes it even more yeah. important. It, it raises the level of expectation that they feel like they're under. And uh, my oldest daughter went to Dartmouth. I actually did some work with Dartmouth. And I didn't fully realize until I was back there talking to the students one-on-one -on -one just how much pressure they are under. But I, I got a really up-close-and-personal look at it, and, and it made me kind of step back and, and kind of do the math, that if you take the top percentage, the, the top of the top, the best of the best, and you put them all in the same place, you know, their, their reward is to get to go to an Ivy League school or a top-level school. Right. Well, the math doesn't add up. They can't all continue to be the best of the best. So to some degree, the, the reward for being the best is to be, you know, placed at an even higher level and even more difficult situation. And in some cases, these students have never learned how to deal with rejection, how to deal with failure. Um, and again, if they don't have that strong sense of self, if they don't have a sense of what their vision is, what their values are, what's really important to them, um, when they're thrown into that situation, um, it's very difficult for them. You know, you, you mentioned dealing with rejection. As I was reading about your work, I thought there was also another interesting element. You know, not only do you help them effectively deal with rejection, but to accept acknowledgement. Yeah. That just stunned me. I thought, you know, that's kind of like our generation's issue, right? Because we weren't supposed to brag. I'm shocked that that could be an issue for this generation. Talk about that. Well, it is. It's a huge issue. And I think of all the issues that I kind of bring up, all the conversations that I initiate, all of my work is very interactive and experiential. And, you know, I'm not one of those 
speakers. I actually consider myself a facilitator versus a speaker. Uh, but most people don't know exactly what you mean if you tell, you know, you're at a cocktail party and someone says, what do you do? And you say you're a facilitator. Their eyes roll back <laughs> in their head. They have no idea what you're talking about. But the difference mm-hmm. to me is that it's not just about sharing information. It's about getting the participants in, in the workshop or the presentation or whatever it is to really interact with each other and to interact and fully experience the content, literally bring it into their body. And um, what we see with this piece about acknowledgement is that not only is it difficult for many people, you know, in all generations, really, to receive acknowledgement. In many cases, it's very difficult and awkward and uncomfortable for people to give acknowledgement. And the other piece that's really, really critical, and, and we do a simple kind of fun activity I'll tell you about that, that kind of starts this, this conversation, but the other thing that's really, really difficult is when we talk about acknowledging ourselves. So it's one thing to receive acknowledgement. It's another thing to be comfortable giving acknowledgement to someone else, and then it's a whole other thing to be willing to acknowledge ourselves. For, for what we are good at, for what our skills and talents are, for the, the experience that we have, the gifts that we bring to the table. And older, younger, it seems universal that on some level our society has just made it not okay. We call that bragging. But on some level it's just telling the truth about who we are. Uh, I did uh, I did some staff development work at my daughter's high school this past year, and I encouraged the teachers to bring all the work that we did into the classroom. And a couple of months later, I got a text from my daughter, and I always have to like caveat this. I know she's not supposed to be texting from school, but this was a, this was an <laughs> exception, I think. But she was actually in her college applications class, and she texted me and said, "Dad, my college apps teacher is doing your acknowledgement exercise." And I would not have been happier because that teacher had really connected what we did in the staff development with the teachers about accepting acknowledgement and about being willing to acknowledge ourselves. And she had taken that in and she was sharing it with these students that were in the process of applying to colleges. And I thought, what a perfect application because if these students are reaching out and, and putting out their best foot for colleges, but they're not comfortable acknowledging themselves and receiving acknowledgement, there's a real problem there. So it was, right. it was just a beautiful example of how important it is, especially at that time in their lives. Mm-hmm. Well, we have more to talk about with Robert C. when we come right back. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. 
If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjoke All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. My very special guest today is Robert McSee. So, Robert, we've spent the first segment talking about this work that you are doing, helping high school and college students make excellent decisions, you know, really shifting the way they see themselves, how they choose to do what they do, and, and how you help them understand that decisions have consequences and that they are in charge of that. And... You know, it's a very, very empowering process that you describe, and I love that you say that it's um, very interactive. You know, you work with them as to facilitate the conversation so that it really becomes theirs. It's not simply you being the talking head, you know, just passing along information, mm-hmm. which, of course, we know is how to embody, you know, this is how you embody, you know, change. So as you say this, it makes me think about um, some of the work that I do and you've done and you, in terms of working with leaders in business. And, you know, one time I was being interviewed um, by someone on radio and they said, well, you know, you, you can be sure that you have job security because leaders need a lot of help. And I thought about it for a minute and I said, you know, it would be, a wonderful world if there was no such thing as my job. And he said, mm. what? And I said, well, think about it. If we started with kids and we helped them to shift a way of thinking and being so that they would grow up so strong and centered that they don't need this as leaders, but the, what their need is is different. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world? And I really do believe that. And it sounds to me that this work that you're doing could actually impact that. Well, I think you're right. And uh, I just want to take a quick step back to something you said at the, at the beginning there about, you know, we all know that this interactive and experiential component is so important. Um, but I also think that for people like you and I that are in and around this kind of work and are, are curious always about the most effective ways to teach it, we know. And yet at the same time, a lot of academia really doesn't know that and that the traditional yeah. method of teaching is still very different. Uh, I had a really interesting uh, time in this whole process of, of switching into excellent decisions that um, 
you know, I was looking at the, the, the rigor behind it, the academic rigor, the research to, mm. to really validate. Because I'm reaching out to very high-level institutions, and I don't have a master's degree. I don't have a Ph.D. So I felt like it was really important to get clear. And I found out that there was a positive psychology class at Harvard University, and mm. that it's the most popular psychology class they've ever had. They teach it in yep. the largest lecture hall on campus at Harvard, and it's always full. And it was very validating for me in three different ways. The first way was, number one, it did really bring that academic rigor because everything that they're teaching totally validates the work that I'm doing. So that was fabulous. Um, the other thing was the fact that it is the most popular class at, you know, psychology class that they've ever offered at Harvard was very validating because it, it just helps me remember that this is a conversation that the students are really eager to engage in. They really want they want to be part of this conversation. They want this to stop being something, you know, they don't want to keep feeling like the only one who's, who's struggling. They want to understand that, that everyone's going through this and we all have our, our steps to take. And then uh, the third piece was, as I was watching this lecturer, and he's really great. I mean, he's, he's wonderful and he's brilliant and he really does have all the academic rigor and the studies behind it. And he does a pretty good job with making it fun and entertaining. But what he really doesn't do, hardly at all, and when he does it, you know, honestly, he doesn't do it very well, is the experiential and interactive piece to get the students to really get the learning into their body to fully experience it. It's very academic and information driven. And so for me, who does all that work and has seen the benefit of it um, and knows the importance of it, that was also really validating for the approach that I'm taking. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm a huge advocate for the experiential and interactive work um, because it, it is a, a very effective learning modality, and it also, in the case of working with adult learners, and I'm not ignoring your question, we can definitely get to the, the, no, yeah. and the leadership <laughs> component of it, uh, but in terms of dealing with adult learners, in my experience, if you're not doing the interactive and the experiential and really getting them engaged in the conversation in a very powerful way, they can often just check out or just never really be present in the conversation. So it's, it's critically, critically important, and it really is, well, you know this based on what you know of my work, it's, it's foundational to everything that I do. I, whenever I'm doing a presentation, it's like, how quick can I get them interacting with each other instead of listening to me? You know? um, oh, yes. Yeah. And, and also, you're absolutely right that it, it, does, it does translate very, very directly uh, to leadership and business. Uh, and when I'm, when I'm reaching out and, and contacting a school to talk to them about what I'm doing, the kind of the elevator speech type of description is that this is a leadership program. Um, that, that my name is Robert McSee, and I'm calling about a leadership program that I facilitate for students called Excellent Decisions, and who would be the right person to talk about that. And the reason that I describe it as a leadership program is because I feel really strongly that that's exactly what it is at its foundation. And, and whether the students that I'm dealing with are in charge of something, if they're in a formal kind of leadership program, like, uh, you know, being a resident advisor or being a class officer or being an orientation leader or all those traditional kind of leadership positions, whether they're in a role like that or not, I still feel like the program is fundamentally about leadership. Because if the students aren't making their decisions based on 
their sense of self, their sense of vision and values and what's really important to them, then chances are they're making their decisions based on all that pressure that they're under. They're making their decisions based on peer pressure, social pressure, academic pressure, um, parental pressure, whatever it is. And to me, that's not leading, that's following. You know, if uh, if a boy who's in a fraternity is, you know, deciding to drink more than he should because all of his friends are drinking more than they should, that's not leadership. Uh, and it has nothing to do with whether he's the, the president of that fraternity. It's just a personal decision based on am I a leader or am I a follower? And the other thing about what I'm seeing as far as how this really translates into business, it's it's almost easier to deal with in the academic and student environment because it's very much about personal leadership, but it's also a learning ground for them because the students are just learning how to balance their own personal vision and values with an organization's vision and values. And yeah. to me, when we start working with uh, individuals uh, who are in leadership positions in the corporate world, they're dealing, they, they have to have mastered that. To be an effective leader, they've got to have the personal leadership component mastered, and they also have to blend that really effectively with the organizational mission and vision and values, and ideally be weaving those together really effectively. Uh, and that, that gets a lot more complex, and I think that's one of those things that does keep people like you and I in business, is it's not as simple as just you know reading a book and going, oh, that's what I'm going to do. It gets very complex to really effectively weave Absolutely. those things together. Absolutely. And, you know, I when I think about the balancing the personal with the organizational vision and values, what I know is that for years I have heard from executives across industries that they have never actually sat and done a personal vision and values process. Mm-hmm. That they have been, they've gone through many organizational vision and values process, defining mission, et cetera, right. and yet they have not done that for themselves, nor have they even considered that they should. And so putting this into someone's um, perspective early will definitely shift not only how they work, but where they work or what they choose to do. You know, I... Tell me how you work with leaders in business to get them to look at the personal side of this. Well, it's, it is very similar and, and very much in line with what you were just saying in terms of when, when it's not difficult to describe the importance. And, and it's also, I think, for many people, easy to kind of look back and see how they got to where they are now and how fundamentally different it would be had they made choices based on their own personal vision and values. And even if they would have ended up basically at the same place, it could be a fundamentally different experience of how they got there and and what they feel kind of prepared and empowered to do from that place. Because it is really easy to focus on the organizational mission and vision. Um, and, and some of our really great leaders um, have, have done that. And yet, if they've done that at the expense of their own personal mission and vision and values, in my experience, these are the people who sometimes have made a lot of money. They've gotten all the promotions. They've gotten into that leadership position. They've been very kind of successful on the outside looking in. But if we really talk to them about their level of satisfaction 
you know, how do they feel? Uh, what is their experience of going to work as opposed to just what are the results that they're generating at work? These are some of the people who have created great results, the great external results, but in some cases are miserable. And, and I know in my own work, I'm committed not to one or the other. You know, I, I believe that, you know, somebody who's blissfully happily, happy but, you know, can't balance their own checkbook, that, that scenario doesn't work too well. Um, but the opposite scenario really doesn't work too well either, which is uh, people who have been incredibly successful in terms of their kind of business results that they've generated, but either in yeah. their personal life or their relationships or their health or whatever it might be, they've made such huge sacrifices. And what appears to be a huge win and a huge success on the outside, if we peel back the layers a little bit and look at, at the person, we see someone who's very unhappy, very unsatisfied, really not having the experience of life that they'd like to be having. And my vision is that by, and again, sharing this work with people early in their life and, and getting them to be engaged in this conversation and asking these questions while they're students rather than waiting until they've been in a career that they don't really like for 10 years, that we can have people start off on a track that really works for them, create the external successes in an environment, in a business, in an industry, in a career, whatever it is, that they're really excited about. Um, and, and both with students and with people in the corporate world, it is possible to have both. And um, to me, again, if you end up with only one or the other, it just, it just doesn't really work very well. You know, we look back at the end on, on how we did. You know, I think it's pretty clear to me I, I want to have both. I want to have success in both yeah. arenas. So, Robert, have you ever had a client um, in the business world, an executive or someone who you're working with who has not been able to get to the point where they can really clarify their own values? I think that the simple answer to that question is no, that, that I've always been able to help people get connected more deeply to their vision and their values. And, and yet I think there's a more complicated answer. I, I love making things simple. It's part of, part of just what I do, the way my brain works. And, and at the same time, I think with a question like this, it's important to recognize that when we look at our vision and our values, you know, one of the core questions I spend a lot of time with is the question, who am I? And we can break that down into a lot of different categories in terms of my skills and talents and the roles that I play in the world and the contribution that I want to make. And we can look at it from a very kind of a spiritual, deeper perspective. But the question, who am I, is a really profound question. When we have a strong sense of who we really are, it's, it's a very empowering place to come from. And yet, at the same time, we can spend our whole life trying to answer that question. Um, when, we, when we're talking about our vision and our values and what's really most important to me, these are very fast-moving targets. It's not like I just asked the question one day and I realized that my vision is to solve hunger in Africa and boom, it's done, I solve it, it's, you know, check out, you know. You know it doesn't really work that way. It's a very yeah. kind of moving target, evolving, growing. Once I connect to one piece, I feel so, you know, amazing about that. And then I look and on the other side of that, there's something that's even more intriguing. And, and it's, it's not a destination so much as it is a journey. And yet, I think the most exciting thing about working with that executive that you were talking about, that no one's ever really asked them the question, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, um, you know, if we were on a video or on live on stage, you know, I'd, I'd kind of draw a curve. 
where you know you never really fully reach the 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 end of that that journey but at the same time when you first start asking these questions you can make just these huge leaps and bounds and i see this with students and, and i see it with business people who have never really been engaged in this conversation and again like the the harvard class illustrates so beautifully people are eager like I get to go to a class and talk about vision and values and what's most important to me and focusing on what I want instead of what I'm afraid I'm going to get and you know all these concepts that are built into positive psychology they want to be in that conversation and when they first start with it you know they don't get all the answers in the first session but they make huge leaps and bounds and and really start fundamentally looking at their life differently based on the just the beginnings of that conversation hmm so talk to me about um, the, this whole element of peak performance. You know, we hear so much about athletes and peak performance. We hear so much about, you know, the stellar executive um, and, of course, you know, student performance, etc. But I, I think that peak performance... Um, might have a different definition in the way you use it than it is most commonly viewed. Talk, talk about that a little bit. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I had a meeting this morning uh, with someone who uh, was going to introduce me to some great contacts in the, in the high school environment, and he was telling me, you know, you have to be really careful when you reach out to these people with the high schools because in terms of peak performance, what they're looking at is wanting kids to get into top-level schools and get really good grades and, you know, all those kind of traditional metrics that we look at. And if, you know, Mr. Self-Image, Self-Esteem, you know, woo-woo manifesting guy comes in and he wants them all to feel good, you have to be careful about kind of how you position yourself is what his message to me was. And I totally agree because I think when mm. we think about peak performance, we do really think about the measurables. And and that is how we determine peak performance. You know, it's how much money we make. It is what school that we get into. Um, you know, it's it's how far we go and how long it takes us to get there, those specific and measurable outcomes. And yet, at the same time, I think it's so important to include the experience element, like how we feel, you know, make a lot of money and be miserable. How's that working for you kind of conversation? Mm-hmm. And at the same right. time, I think the piece that I'm most passionate about is not making it an either-or conversation. It's one of the things that's been most exciting to me about this, you know, I'm, I'm these Harvard uh, lectures from this class, they're all on YouTube. You can actually go and search Harvard Positive Psychology on YouTube, and you'll get this whole series of 18 lectures for this class that they teach, and they're fascinating. But part of what they're they're making really obvious, and, and again, based on hard, rigorous research, they're they're proving the fact that these are not an either or decisions. It's not a matter of feel good or achieve more. In in a, in the right kind of ways, if you know how to focus your attention, if you know how to shift your beliefs, if you know how to get really connected to and tapped into your sense of self and what's really important to you and your vision and your values and focus in those areas, you achieve more. You actually do better. So it's not a matter of, oh, you know, I've chosen to feel good rather than make more money. The people who are really focused 
on the positive, focused on the outcomes they want, that take personal responsibility, that uh, that know how to deal with rejection and failure, that are comfortable in that a conversation about acknowledgement that we were talking about. The fact is, the research shows these people accomplish more, not less, but more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I'm so inspired by this work you're doing. It's so important. And we have more to talk about when we come right back. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. My guest this week is Mexican drug cartel and heroin expert Steve Peterson, who will paint a shocking picture of how violent cartels have infiltrated the United States and just how much the media is underreporting the danger. Don't miss Steve Peterson, Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. My guest, Robert McSee, is talking about making excellent decisions. You know, Robert, I, as I'm listening to you in these last few segments, what is so clear to me is how clear and grounded and how much your truth is coming through in this work. And so, of course, it makes me feel like, huh, he is walking his talk. He is doing what he loves, and he is very successful at it, and his energy is is completely engaged and over the top around this work. And, you know, a lot of people would be looking at you saying, oh, I want what he has. I want that. And, and you would say to them what? Well, first of all, I would say it's absolutely possible. Um, second of all, I would say, you know, there's, there's two books, I, or actually more than two, but the two books I recommend most these days are, are number one, my own. You know, I have to do my own marketing. I recommend my own book, Manifesting for <laughs> Non-Gurus. Um, but the other book I that I recommend, book. I, I recommend really highly is a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You. 
so good ah. they can't ignore you. And and it's written by a guy named Cal Newport. He's actually a professor at Georgetown University, and he's talking about this whole issue of of doing what we really love to do, like making a living, making a career out of doing what we really love to do. And he's doing it from a very different perspective than some of the kind of the self-help personal development stuff that we read, um, where it's very practical and it, and it's very kind of... Um, kind of in your face almost in terms of, you know, it's not as simple as just deciding you want to be a massage therapist one day and leaving your job and, and making a living being a massage therapist. And and he talks about the the real reality that it takes time and that it should be a very well thought out and, and very carefully planned transition from whatever it is you're doing now to what it is that you'd really like to be doing, whatever it is your, your passion is. And he has a, a concept that he calls career capital that he says a lot of people ignore. And and I do think, you know, for people who, who get involved in this conversation, they start looking at who they really are, like we were talking about. They start examining their vision and their values, and maybe they look right. in the mirror and, and they say, I'm not living my life the way I really want to live it. Um, it's really important to also take a look at your career capital, the experience that you have, the network that you've built, the, you know, the knowledge that you have, and say, how can I use this career capital to really orchestrate a really effective transition into doing more of what I want to do? Uh, when I was working with Jack, I would see people who would come to his workshop, and they would hear him speak, and they would go home, and they'd leave their wife, and they'd quit their job, and they'd, you know, on the road, be a motivational speaker, you know, <laughs> Because they were so inspired and so, you know, impassioned by what Jack was doing and his message. Because it is, it's just so powerful, especially for people who have never, never really heard that type of thing before. But that, I, I saw over and over again, talk about research, you know, I saw over and over again that that strategy doesn't work too well. And in fact, the people who got the most benefit from that workshop were the people who took the work and they took it back to their own job. And they found a way to integrate the work and the conversation and the message into what they were already doing and use that as the first step. You know, they might go from the accounting department into the training department of their same company because they wanted to share this kind of information. And that was that was a step that worked really, really well because now they were in yeah. a company where they had their reputation, they had their contacts, they had their network, they had their tenure, whatever it is, and they were doing what they really were more passionate about than accounting. So... You know, I, I, the other thing, whenever someone asks me that question, like, you know, how do I do what you're doing? It reminds me of, again, when I was working for Jack and I was often the one who was co-facilitating on stage or, or even introducing him. And, and people would come up to me and they would say, I want to do what you're doing. And I would yeah. say, okay, you know, that's great. What you do is you start by going to the workshop, and then you go again because you didn't get it all the first time. And then you volunteer for five years to, you know, support you yeah. in whatever way you can because you're so <laughs> grateful for the contribution that he's made to your life. And then they ask you to do something that they can actually pay you for. And 12 years later, you're the director of training. You know, that's the way it works. <laughs> um, so in a lot of cases, you know, the, the, the short answer to the question is, yes, it's possible. Uh, yeah. You and I have a mutual friend, Mark McCurgow, who teaches something called yeah. the solutions focus, which I love yeah. too, which is, you know, if, if whatever, you know, let's say your career isn't really working for you, it's like a two out of 10. Mark coaches people to say, well, what would it take to make it a three? What is that next incremental right. step? And I think in most cases for people, that incremental approach works so much more effectively than trying to take something from a two to a 10. Absolutely. You know, I have a teacher, a spiritual teacher, who I've had for a very long time, John Milton. And John takes 
people out into nature, and um, we sit out there for um, on solo for about you know seven days at a time, sometimes longer. And he, of course, you know, it takes courage, and you, you face all your fears—not all of them, a lot of them—and you, know, you work through a lot. And when you come back, you know, we all tend to be kind of proud of ourselves. And he says, well, yeah, it's great that you did that. But now the real work begins. Mm-hmm. Because being out there by yourself is actually not the hard part of this. Being back in your real life, taking these principles back into your real life, applying what you've learned about yourself and about mm-hmm. how to deal with situations back into your real life, that's where the work is. Yeah. And you know, that's exactly what you're saying. You know, it's really about how do we move from this sense of aha to making it real, making yeah. it just part of who I am. Yeah, and I completely agree. And I think, you know, as you described that, it's really clear to me that that's one of the areas where you and I are are very like-minded. And I think why there is such a, just a natural, we feel like we've known each other forever and we're best friends kind of connection is is that commitment. I mean, when I wrote my book, I was actually not even finished with the book when I stopped and created a partner journal because I just knew that this couldn't be a book that uh, becomes what my my friend Jim Bunch calls shelf help, you know, that people buy it, they put it on the shelf, but they never read it. It had to be implemented. It was so kind of divinely guided. And when I was first sharing this, um, this excellent decisions work, I realized that just the workshop, the initial piece wasn't enough, that there needed to be a follow-up. And now we have a 90-day follow-up program. So when the students go through a workshop, they stay engaged in that conversation. At least they have the opportunity to stay engaged in that conversation for 90 days to start building some habits and then really starting to see some results. So I totally agree with you that, you know, it's it's where the rubber hits the road is when we get home. And and it is really where ultimately the lasting change will happen. It doesn't happen in the workshop. It happens in the implementation of what we learned from reading the book or listening to a call like this or, or uh, attending a workshop or working with a coach or whatever it is where the, the results and the lasting experience really comes about is when, when we get home and, and really implement it and integrate it. So, Robert... What do you want your legacy to be? Well, this whole excellent decisions thing is taking off in a way that's that's almost scaring me. And and again, I've had several conversations in the past few days, and I have to take kind of a deep breath. But this is this is not like a program. It's it's becoming more and more obvious to me that this is really a movement. You know, somebody said to me the other day, well, you need to get President Obama on board with this. And I was like, I couldn't even, like, swallow at the thought of something like that. Um, But it is the the way the conversation is developing, the way people are sharing the conversation is very clear to me that this, first of all, some of the things that are happening on college campuses just have to change. It it can't continue the way it's, it's going. You know, when we hear about students who are being taken to the hospital because of how much they're drinking or students that are depressed to the point where they're they're considering suicide and in far too many cases actually committing suicide yeah. on college campuses. Yeah. It just it has to change. And mm-hmm. and I feel so strongly that this conversation about self image and self confidence and self awareness is at the core of that. That a student who really has a strong sense of who they are and knows that they're enough whether they join the sorority or not, whether they get an A yeah. or a B, 
you know, that they're enough, that they just have that sense of self, then all of a sudden the decisions about things like drinking and drugs and, you know, assault and, and all the way as far in And I hesitate to even bring it into the conversation because it's, it's so scary on some level, but it does go as far mm-hmm. as depression and suicide. And, and again, that just has to change. And, and if excellent decisions is even a small part of that change coming about, and, and that's my legacy, then, uh, you know, I'm sitting in my rocking chair with a big smile on my face. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of other people are very grateful for you, too. So I know people are going to want to know more about this, Robert. It is powerful, powerful work. How can they learn more and get in touch with you? Well, the simplest way to learn more about what we're doing with Excellent Decisions is miraculously the domain name was available. So excellentdecisions.com. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's what I said. I, I did not think it was. I thought we are going to have to do excellentdecisions.au and base it in Australia or something. But we, we, we have excellentdecisions, plural, uh, .com, and, and that's where we're branding it all. We're still kind of in process, but that's one way. Uh, the other thing is people can reach out to me through uh, my private email, which is robert at heartset.com, H-E-A-R-T-S-E-T. And the reason I've kept that email is because you know, when I originally started my company, it was about going deeper than just the mindset, like going all the way into our heart instead of just our mind. And also that the, the concept of heart set, like having our heart set on something, is it means more than, than just, you know, thinking it's a good idea. It means I'm going to do it no matter what, having that kind of passion and commitment. And so heart set has remained kind of the, the parent company for all this other work that I'm doing, and I've kept that as my email to remind me. So robert at heartset.com, and I uh, would love to talk to any of your people and support them in any way I can. From... The mind to the heart just gave me chills. Robert, thank you so much for being here. It is truly a privilege to know you and to call you my friend. And, um, yeah, it's just a magnificent, magnificent journey you're on. Thank you, Thank you for the opportunity. It was great to reconnect and uh, just, just the beginning. So remember, everyone... To think big, the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.